Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I'm your host, Louise Solace, and with me is always my very, very talented friend who never gets her tinsel in a tangle, the mixtress DC Gina. <laughs> no, I tangle it, but then it's so glittery that everybody's like, okay. They, they just think you meant yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, it looks good. I'm like, yeah, it's braided tonight, don't worry. <laughs> All right, so the holidays are here. Can you believe it already? I, I know, can't. I know, can you? I know. It's nuts. It it's is. nuts. It's I, a nutty time of year. Keep going. Yes, yes, please. So, many of us are hanging our stockings and we're trimming our trees, right? Did you know that close to 80 million of those trees are fake? Yes, I believe that. So, are you real or fake? I have a real tree and a fake tree. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. I have one tree that looks like from 1970s, like disco vibe, because I just happen to love um, good feather, good uh, good feather, fellas, good fellas. Good fellas is a sandwich on my menu. <laughs> it is. It good is. Good fellas is a movie I love. <laughs> but I love when she hangs the Christmas tree. She's like, I love this one. She has all the Barbies. I don't know. I love the tree. So I have a white Christmas tree. Cool. Yes. And a, and a real one. And a real one for there my old timey Christmas. Yes. There you go. I yes. do real. But, and I do two. I do one upright and one upside down. Well, that's perfect. Yeah, because I hang it from the ceiling. Which but, is yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, here's the funny thing. You talk about your fake tree. Do you know polyvinyl trees um, have only been around since 1964? I can believe that, too. I did not. I thought there were much, it would have been longer. But now, if you flash forward um, about 60 years and approximately 94 million people 94 million people deck their halls with Christmas trees, and 84% of those trees are artificial. And get this, I got that according to the American Christmas Tree Association. <laughs> I believe it, it's easier. It's easier, you gotta hook it, you throw it in your closet, you put it up whenever you want. Whenever you, you want, you put it up in you July. Don't have any se- well, some people <laughs> leave their Christmas trees up and have a love tree. Yeah. You know? Well, that's just because they're getting Easter, lazy. Or an Easter tree. <laughs> well, your white one, you could do that. Yes, I've yeah. done a, I do a love tree. So I'm like, some people have a love tree. <laughs> <laughs> you can also wash the tree. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yes. Take it outside. Yes. So. See, now, maybe, but I always was bad for the environment, all that plastic. Well, there's so. some, and there's some debates on that, too, because the, um, you know, the trucking of real trees, that was a whole, that's a whole nother scenario of which one's better. But it doesn't really matter, right? No matter if your tree is fake or real, adorned with tinsel you or cut garland. Down, you can cut down your Christmas tree of your neighbors, you know, that, your I don't think, I wouldn't do that, because I think that'd be bad neighbors. That's not a good Christmas make, I don't ask. think. Uh, yeah, maybe ask. I would suggest asking first. <laughs> so if you're covering it multicolored lights, Lights or white lights, um, no matter what you're doing, as long as you're not cutting down your neighbor's tree. <laughs> um, and while you're putting those gifts under that tree, you might want to consider local charities during the holidays as well. 100%. Yeah. So all of that brings me to today's designated drinker. As executive director of Thrive DC, he is on a mission to end homelessness, and who wouldn't want to support that? So please, let's welcome to the show, no further ado, Shane Mulhern. Welcome to the show, Shane. Thanks for having me, and happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays, Shane. Can you believe, are you ready? Uh, I'm getting there. (laughs) Some last minute orders from Amazon are probably in the works. Oh, good old Uncle Jeff. (laughs) Jeff Bezos. So are you a uh, real or fake tree? Real. We, really, we yeah. go multiple real trees. I, I, I have to admit, my, my wife considers me Chevy Chase from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy who <laughs> goes all out with inflatables and lights. So 
Do you yeah. cut it down? You cut you go cut it on your tree? I, I used to be. Yeah. So now we, we go to the Christmas tree farm and we, we make it a little simpler. I, yes. I, I don't know if I can convince the whole family to uh, go off and march into a field with me. Yeah, my, that's my husband. He's like, let's go cut it down. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, you bring me the tree, I'll decorate it. The only thing is and that we used to do that. Um, when we first moved here, because we moved here from Hawaii and it was very hard to get a Christmas tree, had to get them right away. When we did that here, I was like, oh, let's do that again. Um, it depends on the season that they've had. So when we went to go do that for the last time, unfortunately, was it was really rainy and the trees were terrible. So it was really wet season, apparently. So, you know. Yeah, so they get fungus. Yeah. And they also get worms, they get pine worms <laughs> or burrow worms. Okay, let's talk about fun things at Christmas, not burrow worms. It's real. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a real deal. It's a real problem. Yeah. Also, I think I love your wife. How many Christmas trees? Two Christmas trees? We do two. Yes. So, yeah, I think we're, we do. Do they have themes? Uh, we do do themes. So there is the one that is the crazy colored lights with yes. all the crazy yes. ornaments. And then yes. there's the more traditional one that's with the white lights. Yes. So I like to call it the old timey Christmas tree. Yes, we, we do both. Yes. Yes, I love that. You know, mine match my house. Please. So. <laughs> Louise is, is like literally unnumbered order. Like, it's the wrong branch. <laughs> I have children, so my entire bottom of my tree is completely full, and like there's two ornaments up top. So. That's, they, you know, I have uh, three kids 13, 10, and 6. So at least we've got the height. We yeah. never get the back of the tree. Yeah. That, that, that's always oh, The back of the tree is never going to happen. Right. It's good. I mean, I don't know. I love it. That's my favorite thing to do. With, with my family, it's nice. It's a nice thing to do. It should be enjoyed by all. It should be. So speaking of, we definitely want to backtrack and find out all about your professional career and how, you've got, how you got there, because it's always really interesting um, and really inspiring too. But will you please tell our listeners just a little bit about Thrive DC? Sure. Thrive DC is a local DC-based nonprofit. Uh, we serve the Ward 1 community, and we really focus on the issue of individuals experiencing homelessness. Um, and I, I, I use that language very specifically, and, and, and it's individuals, right? And I think for all of your listeners, homelessness is a growing problem, right? It's a complex problem. It's in the news. And, you know, I guess thinking about this show, right, you know, we, you wouldn't say whiskey, Right? And, right, and just sort of like think one thing, right? right? Is it scotch, is it bourbon, is it rye, is it, you know, yeah. a whole host of, of different types of drinks. And, you know, homelessness is, is actually the same, right? There are individuals who are experiencing homelessness who have been persistently homeless for decades. And the intersection of mental health challenges, the intersection of addiction, addiction right? Um, really individuals who have been, um, not serve throughout their life, right? And go back into what they experienced in school. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you might have families that are experiencing homelessness. You might have women and children who are fleeing domestic abuse, right? And, and sort of a whole range in between, right? And yeah. so there's a lot of stereotypes about what makes a person homeless. Yeah. And it is actually a complex issue. So Thrive really focuses on, on that first group the individuals who have been persistently homeless for years, if not decades, right? And the intersection of mental health services, addiction services, and getting um, them connected to housing. So we really work in the Ward 1 community and those individuals who are almost furthest away 
and we meet them where they're at, right? That, so I was going to say, that must be some of the hardest places yeah. to yeah. to help, and harder to even get society as a whole to mm -hmm. find a place yeah. for that and within themselves to understand and be thoughtful, because it's got to be difficult. Yeah, and, and that's a really good point, and I think one of the things we try to do Right, and, and what we express is really trying to meet people where they're at and also to share, right, like here's one of the really interesting facts about individuals experiencing homelessness. 80% um, are homeless in the community that they lived in, right? It yeah. is, okay, individuals experiencing homelessness actually have a home in terms of a community, right? The vast majority of the clients we serve live in Ward 1. Wow. And have lived in Ward 1. And this is true nationwide, right? So as we think about, you know, kind of, and it is hard, right? And yeah. a, a individuals kind of walking down the street and you see somebody who is clearly homeless and maybe having some sort of episode, right? What do you do? And, and that's hard to, to kind of like, what do I do? Yeah. Uh, but those are members of your community. And what we try to do is keep our clients connected to community and provide them with the emergency services they need to, to get them back on track. And that starts with, you know, healthy food yeah. and then progresses into showers and laundry. And then we kind of move up in kind of the tiers of needs and sort of connecting them to different sort of supports uh, based on what they need, whether it's mental health, addiction supports, or or kind of moving into into jobs. Wow, that's great. I mean, it's it seems so daunting, but um, I guess I, mean, I guess to your point, the first place for all of us to start is that it's an individual. Yeah, yeah. It's really um, if you're you know live in a city, I think that a lot of times people are removed. If you're like a little bit more suburban, because seeing a homeless person in the suburbs is ah. Uh, not quite as common, but it is definitely present, especially like in places where there's like nature preserves and stuff because they live in the woods. Yeah. And um, I feel like people in, uh, might have the misconception that this is a city problem, this isn't everybody's problem. Just because you don't see them, they exist, especially like, um, and I'm just gonna say, West. I live up in Maryland, Pennsylvania border, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, all the, um, you know, the trails and stuff. People live on the trails, they're homeless, but it's a different, homeless, yeah. they live in the woods on purpose. They, well, mental, mental health has brought them to the woods and then they live on a trail. But I feel like you shouldn't ignore it. And, you, and, I, and I commend Thrive DC for the work that you're doing because it's not easy to approach, to approach an individual in need and, 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 and let them accept, the, accept it. That is, it's real. You see it every day in DC. If you drive around, you see it every day. I have friends that hand out socks, like packets of white socks and t-shirts and stuff to homeless people instead of like money because they can't do laundry and your feet are the first thing that, in homelessness, that is uh, the, the first thing that's gonna be how you're gonna get very sick. You're actually spot on, right? If you, if you want, thinking about our listeners who, you know, wanna do something, uh, we are always in need of socks. Yeah. Right. It is you kind of think of those small things you can do and like to, to really meet people where they're at. And right. We provide socks and underwear um, and, and just an abundance of need. Right. And so kind of thinking about like the little things that I think each one of us can do. And, and we see it every day. Right. And this is a big issue. And we have volunteers 
in our dining hall every morning, right? Thinking about the team back at Thrive who, who live supporting uh, know these individuals day in and day out so while it's it's really challenging I think there's there's a lot of hope and thinking about this season of giving right there of there course. are a lot of opportunities to uh, make a difference uh, in the lives of really your neighbors yeah uh, to, to that I mean it's sometimes like I said it feels daunting but there are these small acts that we can do easily and I think you when we were talking when we spoke a couple days ago you were like just buy a second pair of socks when you buy your own. Or donate, right? Well, donate, donations would be even better, right? Yep, uh, donations are huge. Uh, to give you a perspective, like individuals account for probably 40% of our operating budget. And these are individuals signing up and donating $10 a month, right? So you think of a cup of coffee you buy, you know, one day yeah. a week, Right, and it's just, it, it adds up. And we have hundreds upon hundreds of people within the community doing that, and, and it, makes a, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So, yeah. to that point, any small act, whatever you can give. Some can yeah. give more, some can only give time. Yeah. Um, and then, so any one of those acts is uh, beneficial, I would think. And then you do like the automatic, right? You just take it every yep. month. Yeah. And I know <laughs> it's important because yeah. people forget, like you might give a grand gesture and be like, here's a hundred dollars and like forget that Thrive DC exists 10 years from now. Well, like that doesn't help because yeah. it's not stopping. And I, and, I, and I agree with you. I do a lot of stuff with like women's shelters. Um, big advocate for women, especially leaving domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. And uh, people don't realize that like, it just doesn't, it doesn't, just because you've, it, there's an intake doesn't mean that that's how it ends. Cause it's, it's so hard. How many months is it from, if you do have an individual that's willing to come in, how long does it start from the intake to placement? Like how many, it's, a, it's years. Or oh, and it's, it's totally individual. And I think kind of your work with women is is a great parallel, right? You're meeting the individual where they're at. And then, and I think, you know, and this is true with our team, uh, working with our clients, I think it's true across the social service sector, it's right, it's, it's basically supporting somebody on their journey, yeah. right? And what that journey could look like, and it's very individualized, and for some people it is shorter, right? They've, they've been unhoused for a shorter period of time, and it's getting them through a hump, and I mean, we all know what's going on with inflation and the cost of food, right? And it's, it's sort of dealing with that specific issue and helping them get back on their feet. For other individuals, it is helping them with day-to-day -day existence, right? The um, housing is critical, right? The leading predictor for becoming homeless is affordability, right? And once somebody is housed, it's not like the work ends there. Yeah. Right, and think about the support that needs to wrap around that individual, especially, you know, the individuals we serve who, you know, haven't done laundry in 20 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like almost like re like reteaching. Reteaching. Like yeah. Kind of the basics of, of living on your own. Wow. Yeah. So how did you get into this work? Uh, that is a great question. Um, so I made a transition to Thrive uh, about it's, uh, a little under a year ago. So I was a lifelong educator and got to this interesting junction in my life where 
uh, I was working as a management consultant. Uh, very smart, very good people, but not personally fulfilling. And I decided that I just wanted to go back and, and serve. And what I did mostly in education was work with the 16 to 21 year old population who the system had failed, a lot of young people who had dropped out, um, who had been involved with the court system. And, you know, it was kind of at a pivot point and I kind of thought about, to, to date myself, I've been working in education for about 28 years and kind of thinking about those kids who I personally didn't succeed with, the systems I worked for didn't succeed with, and they're the population that Thrive is, is working with. So wow. I decided to take a break from education and work on uh, homeless services, and it's been a spectacular decision. Wow, that's awesome. It is a call to service, though, isn't it? It's like um, it, it lives inside of you. I think that sometimes, you know, I'm not. I am not. I'm not a terribly religious person whatsoever at all. But there is something that happens when you switch, and you have to. You feel a need for um, to do that. And I think that's a. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's more than commendable. But if you don't do it, you fail yourself. Yeah, and and, and I think it's 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 finding the joy in it. One of the really interesting things, you know, you get hired and then you know, hey, your office is in a church basement. <laughs> and so we're at St. Stephen's over in Columbia Heights, and then I find out that this is the church that supported the punk rock scene for DC for decades Forever. and decades. And Dave Grohl played there. Yes. And all, like, it's, so you kind of find like these wonderful intersections of this really progressive church that has been welcoming uh, to everybody from punk rockers to, you know, individuals who are homeless and and... And, and that's been nice to reconnect uh, with that. Um, I find, you know, if I can add this, I think that uh, another thing about homelessness that people don't understand is that somebody can be living in a house next door to you with no utilities and no food, and that is definitely considered a portion of um, homelessness and, and in need. And like that's another thing that I know. I don't know if Thrive does it, but some people do help with like um, electricity, water bills, and um, and just pantry items to help. And it's a great point. And the one thing we haven't talked about yet, uh, the role food insecurity plays. And so as part of our preventative work, we run a food pantry weekly. Uh, prior to COVID, we about have about 100 individuals and families showing up. We're up to about 350 to 400 weekly. Um, and where, you know, through great partners like DC Central Kitchen, um, Capillary Food Bank, right, through our own resources, we purchase food, hand out uh, food to individuals and families. That's where we kind of go beyond our kind of core client base uh, because you're exactly right. It's, it's not just the roof over your head. It's, it's utility bills. It's the cost of food. Um, all of that is playing in, and we're just seeing uh, massive increases in need. That's what um, our church does right now, we're like raising money for people that can't afford electricity. It's it's you know, that, that brings me to an important part when, you know, we, we give so, I, I'm guilty of it too. I've got to find a gift. I've got to give something. I've got to get, you know, I've got to buy somebody a thing. Well, what if you donated in their name? Think about those things. And those are the small things that we can do instead of 
um, you know, getting somebody that $25, $30, you know, gift of, out of obligation, what if you turn that money into, um, into a donation in their name? I mean, just little things like that people can do that can make such a difference. And I think that's sometimes where people go, well, my little $25 can't do anything. But it can, it, it, even if that's all you have. Um, but if you have more, then obviously, we obviously suggest you give more. But sometimes, you know, I mean, that's all that people, one can do, and that can be so meaningful. Way more than that silly, like, you know, oh, hell, I gotta find something. Yeah. And even gift. if it's not money, it's time, right? Yeah. Every morning we're serving breakfast. And I like wow. your um, I like your idea of like community, like you're feeding your community, and I think that people um, forget sometimes they're part of a community. Like you're, even if you work in your house, you've never left your house since COVID, <laughs> you live in DC, you live in a condo, what, you live in an apartment, whatever it is, you are in a community. And you don't even know if your next door neighbor is experiencing like what's happening just because they're technically housed right now. You have really no idea what's going on. And you can be part of your own community. And it's really, it's really important. Like it's just important. You're only good, you're only as good as your neighbor. Yep. So you might be very wealthy and your neighbor might be very, very poor and starving, but you're only as good as that person. So you lift them up. It's a very simple, simple way to live, but people forget that. They just do. You just so selfish. It's and it's such a, a great point. And uh, you know, since there's as part of the personal journey, my, my dad was a, a former Catholic priest. Um, and one of the things he would say is- I hope you know, it was former. It, it is former, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't have the timing exactly down. I will admit that. Uh, that might be intentional. Although, uh, although I wish they would just lift it and let the Catholic priest like, marry. It's yes. so silly by this point, but whatever. Maybe the Pope will hear this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things he shared Right, the the, the the human condition where the wounded healers of the wounded, right? We've we've all lived our challenges, right? There are people experiencing challenges and, and that idea of connecting and that, that idea of community and how critically important that is. No, it really is. It is important. And so I think this would be a perfect time for you to give, Gina. I'll give. Let me give it let me give a little tip, a little holiday tip for your um at home uh, needs. Exactly. All right. For your parties, which it sounds almost sad that I'm saying. Right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Everyone understands. Well, happy holidays, everybody. I'm gonna make one of my favorite drinks, and I'll get to start off with making scorched milk. And I know it sounds crazy, right? I want you to burn the milk. Isn't that nuts? It's kind of silly. Well, we don't have a kitchen where we are, so we're gonna have to for improvise here, but building this is actually important, right? So when you're making scorched milk, you don't wanna make pudding. So what you wanna make is the base for uh, a loose, um, creamy, milky um, cocktail. And you can either use real milk, cow's milk, that's real milk, not almond milk, it's not real milk. It's almond water, it's still delicious. You can use it, it's fine. It's just not what I'm talking about. Or you can use coconut milk, which actually has a, a much the same consistency as real milk, so it's easier to make things like, you know, pudding and stuff like that. So my um, vegan alternative to this is using uh, coconut milk, and that's what we're gonna use today. So first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna put a cup of sugar in your um, pot, and then you're gonna add, you can add one can of um, Goya coconut milk. I really like this product. 
you can get it everywhere. They do a really good job with um, straining it out and consistency. I do love the Thai coconut milk as well. But if it's one, I'm gonna cook and cook something, use it to cook, I do that. I just said cook three times, whatever. Anyway, maybe I've had a little bit of uh, cocktails today. Anyway, you're gonna put this inside your um, pans. You're adding the one cup of milk, you're adding essentially two cups of coconut milk. So you're just doing two to one ratio. And this is where it becomes really personal. What do you like? For me, I like bay leaves, a little bit of nutmeg, um, and uh, ground cardamom. Some people use, you know, cinnamon in every single thing. I feel like the holidays are an excuse to like over, over pumpkin, over cinnamon. And there's all these other beautiful spices around the world and cardamom is one of my favorite. And um, you just take this and you're gonna put it over heat on your stove, about a medium heat, and you're gonna consistently stir it. And just like when you're making real pudding, it'll rise. And when it starts to rise, take the pot handle and move it off. Keep stirring it, put it back on. You constantly want to keep reintroducing it to the heat so you get a little brown skim on it. And when you're done, and when you're all finished with this process, and it should take you about you know seven to eight minutes, you're gonna be left with this beautiful tanned milk. And it is so lovely. And you can heat this up for um, non-alcoholic beverages. Uh, this is such a cool alternative for hot chocolate. Um, it's just really quite lovely and something nice to share that isn't um, tradition yet in your house. So enjoy your scorched milk. Scorched milk, Gina. Huh, you <laughs> just taught me something new. Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? When you put like cardamom in the milk and then like uh, it has like soothing um, elements and like totally drink it. My kids drink it, like just cardamom, um, a little bit of bay leaf and it's just like a nice holiday alternative to a very sugary version of hot chocolate. It's lovely. Like I, yeah, so there are other places in the world than just here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. And you, you know, it's just like a, it's a fun thing to do. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, and you can oh, always you. Uh, switch it up. Yes. Using coconut or whatever you want. Sorry. Cool. cool. Yeah. Well, Otherwise, it's sorry. Use yeah. the coconut milk. It's nice. Little yeah. Vegan exactly. Friends. Yeah. Okay. Well, tropical. All right. So this brings us to the end of part one with designated drinker, executive director of Thrive DC, Shane Mulhern. Um, but if you're anything like Gina, me, Shane, or Santa, one round is just never enough. So, <laughs> <laughs> so go top off that that cocktail and get ready for part two of this episode as we continue our boozy banter. And uh, sh and uh, I think Gina's gonna share a delicious cocktail recipe, right? Let's go. Absolutely. Uh, make sure to remind us that it is always better to give than to receive. That's all right. Cheers. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link a Latino-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, we craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcast is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to follow, download, and review the shows. 
Your reviews help our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.